This sermon is a tale of two houses. My parents could confirm this. Uh, when I was young, I kind of kept a neat room. Didn't I keep a neat room when I was a kid? I did. I did. I made my bed every day in college. I was one of those people. Um, not so with everybody, though. Anybody in here a neat person? You got some, anybody in here, your room was like, if there was a tornado, it would probably clean up your clothes. Anybody? Okay. There's a story of a kid who was playing in his room one day. He was one of those messy kids. And his dad came in and said, Son, I want you to clean your room. The kid loved his dad. He thought, oh, what a beautiful thing my father told me. Oh, I'm going to write that right down, Dad. Son, clean your room. (gasps) You know what? I'm going to have my friends come over. And we're going to meet together in a circle. So he invited all his friends. You've got to hear what my father told me to do. And all his friends came over. And they sat in a circle and they opened in prayer. And he said, my dad said this to me. Son, clean your room. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, oh, that's great. And they talked about what it would be like to clean the room and, and how it's just so important to clean your room. And, and they thought, would, and the son's like, oh, I'm going to make a poster and put it on my wall. Son, clean your room. Isn't that precious? And he went out and told people, and, and then he got a T-shirt. He's like, I'm going to get this silk screen. And it had a picture of his dad. And on it says, I love my daddy. And the back it said, clean your room. And he was just so excited. And one day he's back in his room, and his dad came in and said, Son, why don't you clean your room? But, Dad, I just love what you had to say. You know, I meditate on it day and night. I wrote it on my wall. I have it on my shirt. I got a tattoo on my bicep. I should have flexed one. And, oh, Dad, I told everybody about it. We studied it, and we contemplated and meditated. Clean your room. That's such a good word. What would you say if you were the dad in that situation? You got it. <laughs> or, I, it's great that, you know, son, that you thought that I was so special, but you didn't do what I told you to do. And if you get anything out of this morning's message, it is that story right there. So if you want to go to sleep, you can. <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Jesus is teaching a principle here. Uh, that I would like to dig into this morning that has to do with the theme of the kids program uh, this morning. But before we dig into it, I want to help us understand there's a cultural thing going on here in, in this passage that Jesus is speaking into. Open your Bibles to Matthew 3, 9. And here in Matthew 3, 9, you see John the Baptist. And the religious folk of that time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. John the Baptist, in verse 7, says something pretty rude to the guys. I won't read that. I'm going to go down to verse 9. John is going to point out a problem in the religious community of their day. He says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There was an issue going on in this day. The religious people thought, I'm a seed of Abraham. I am blessed by God. I'm a good person. God's pretty happy with me, is what they were thinking. I'm afraid that in the church amongst some people, not not everybody, um, you don't have to feel convicted because I'm saying if you should be, you should be, but um, not everybody's this way, but there are some people in church today that believe, I attend church. I do all these great things. I have all these great thoughts. God must be happy with me. And then they insert their name there. Let me read something to you. These folks in this passage saw themselves as good people and good with God because they were from Abraham. They were blessed seeds after all. But not all of them saw themselves this way. We in the USA believe in a pedigree that God hates people like Hitler and bin Laden, but not us. And most let that lullaby of deceptive thinking put them to sleep. And they rest in false hope, dreaming of a future that will never come unless they wake up and snap out of it. The reality is we are sinful, wayward. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We are prone to wander. You ever hear that song, prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. When I hear that song, I think, yes, that is me. I am so prone to wander. That song is about myself. People like to create their own reality. A reality that makes them to be the hero. But not everybody's like that. Open your Bibles to Luke 18, verse 10 through 13. Let me read a story of two people to you. Jesus teaches them a parable. It says here in verse 9, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. He says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word humbled here does not mean to walk around self groveling like you just got beat up, okay? That's not humility, that's called false humility or weakness, all right? Humble here means to have a proper view of who you are, of yourself, all right? It's understanding who God is, 
and who you are in relationship to that, a proper view of that. So one man said, look how righteous, look how good I am. Oh, God, when you look down from heaven, you just think you are the cat's pajamas. This man over here understood, God, I am broken before you. So the culture Jesus is speaking into is this person here. He's challenging this person here in today's passage we find this morning in Matthew 7. This man had the religious look, the religious walk, the religious talk. But that was about it. He was missing something key. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. And there's one truth I want you guys to know this morning as well. God is pleased. Um, Is he pleased with you? If so, why? The answer to that question is God is pleased with Jesus. His righteousness is imputed or placed upon us through faith in him. And because of this, we make it our aim to live a life that pleases him. God is pleased with him. God knows that you, and you know, by the way, you know you're broken. I know I'm broken. I know I need saving. You know you need saving. Anybody disagree with that? None of us are perfect, right? Jesus' sacrifice made it so that we um, could have a relationship with God. Because of Jesus, God sees us out of eyes of Love, he sees us as holy uh, for those who are trusting in him. So, this brings us to our story this morning. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, now there's two people in this story, two men, both in this story hear his words, okay? Sadly, in a lot of circles today, people aren't even interested in that. They aren't even interested in hearing what the rabbi says, what Jesus, the Savior of the world, says. They're so busy that they just ain't got time for him. Nonetheless, these two men hear these words of mine. Person number one, we're going to see, is built on a rock. Both hear the words of mine, and number one, does them. The person who hears and does them will be like a wise man, who built his house on the rock. Pretty nice house, isn't it? Anybody willing to live there? Foundation pretty solid, right, wouldn't you say? If it rains, you think that's going to collapse? The wall, will, the foundation will collapse? Think that will collapse? No. Pretty solid, nice house. I wouldn't mind living there, if, you know, if it had a nice forest scene or a, or a you know, oceanside scene or something like that. Pretty nice house. Man number one builds his house on the rock by doing what the Lord has taught him to do. Now, both men have bad situations happen. Verse 25, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Side note, there's preachers out there that teach that if you're a Christian, if you accept Christ, you won't have problems, you'll just have prosperity. That is such an American thing, is what I had a missionary tell me once. Of course, both Christians and unbelievers deal with problems in life, you know. 
So, so, so all their people run around thinking, oh, I have a problem, therefore I must not be a Christian. See the issue with that, the unhealthiness of that? False. Okay, the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So how does a man who builds a rock, builds their house on the teachings of Jesus, how is it that they are able to stand through a storm where someone else, their life might collapse through a storm? Let me give you a couple of examples of that. In God's word, it says to give thanks in all circumstances. Okay? Anybody struggle with giving thanks in all circumstances? Anybody? This is me agreeing that I struggle with that sometime. What if we obeyed the Lord and decided we were going to give thanks in all circumstances? How might life be different? Would the storm necessarily go away? No. But would our perspective possibly change? You know, when you're facing a hard time, you're you're like, Lord, I am struggling right now, but I could thank you for this. I thank you that you sent your son to die for me and that I could be your child and that you say in your word, you will never leave me and you'll never forsake me. You say that you're closer than a brother. What does that do to your problem? You bring perspective in, remembering that God is walking with you through this struggle. How will that change your situation? Might not, but how will that change your mind and your heart? In amazing ways. A second one is the Bible teaches to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. If someone was to really focus on that, how do you suppose it would work out if maybe someone robbed them or, or broke into their house and stole some of their earthly possessions? How may that change how they handle the situation? If you're focused on loving things, when someone takes something that belongs to you, you're offended, you're angry, right? But if, you're fixed, if your eyes are fixed on him, if something temporary gets stolen, your, your eyes are on greater things, these lesser things don't bother you as much. And you're able to withstand that circumstance because of that. Or Jesus teaches love people. What would happen if we did just that? Anybody, is it hard for you to love anybody? Anybody mad at someone in this church right now? Anybody mad at me? What if we loved our neighbor as ourself? I bet we'd have less anxiety. I bet there would be a lot less selfishness on our part, right? The storm would seem small. What if you decided that you're going to be, God hates a lying tongue, Scripture says. What if you decided at work you're going to be truthful? You are going to be a person of integrity and character. You're going to do what Jesus says at work. So you're known as a person of integrity and truth. Someone comes along who wants your position. And they say, they make up some slander, some rumor about you. What's going to happen to their accusation? Most likely. It's going to slip right off, right? Because you have character. You're a person of truth. They're going to see, he wouldn't do that because he wouldn't, he's a truth teller. You know what I mean? You ever been accused and it slides off because of your integrity? That's what's going to happen. You'll weather that storm. If not, if you get fired, 
your conscience is clear and you're thinking, I honor the Lord in this situation, God's going to take care of me. But if you're a deceiver, you think even God is opposed to what I've done. You know, you see how I'm saying? See how it changes things? Now questions for you. Do you crave to hear from the rabbi at all? Do you love to trust him by doing, obeying what he teaches? John 14 verse 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. You'll obey what I've taught you. Third, what if we did no compromise obedience? What if our desire for obedience was greater than our emotion? What if our desire to obey him was greater than our impulses? What if our desire to obey him was greater than our mood that we are in? How would life be different? What if we, and this is something adults are great at, what if we quit justifying our sin? Quit twisting what he said. I've heard people say, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but... And they work it out. Why? Usually to make themselves feel good about themselves or because they really want to do it and they can't say, I'm just going to disobey the Lord, so they twist it to make it fit. What if we quit saying, but? said, I'm going to obey him. No compromise. How would life be different? How would you be able to withstand the storm if you did that? That's man number one. Man number two, I'll call the dumb guy to be nice. Man number two builds his house on the sand. Now, anybody in here been to the Grand Canyon before? Anybody? Beautiful place, right? Beautiful. I've never been there, but it looks beautiful in, in these little pictures I see in magazines. Here is an article from the National Park Service regarding the Grand Canyon in northern Arizona. It says this, Be especially careful hiking the Grand Canyon, Marble Canyon, and Glen Canyon regions. The slot canyons, they're called, in these areas are beautiful, but can be extremely dangerous when it rains. Hikers have been killed in flash floods generated by thunderstorms as far as 25 miles away. For those of you who count the thunder after the lightning, it's about 25 seconds, give or take. Always face upstream when near or in any creek or drainage. Be alert. It does not have to be raining where you are, to cause a sudden flash flood in your area. In many areas, even small storms can turn normally dry stream beds into raging torrents of water in a matter of minutes. A flash flood can travel miles beyond the rainfall that generated it, catching unwary hikers and motorists by surprise. In fact, in Lower Antelope Canyon on August 12, 1997, 12 hikers were caught in a flash flood that filled the narrow canyon with up to 50 feet of water. Ellie, you can't touch there. <laughs> she always asks, can I touch there? The hikers did not recognize the flood danger until it was too late, probably because the storm that caused the flood occurred miles away. Only one hiker survived. That is the second man. This is like the second man saying... On a dry day, going down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, going, man, this is beautiful. Look at these colors. God is an awesome creator. Wow. Oh, the Colorado River, it's only like this deep. It doesn't get that bad. I think I'm going to build a summer home here. So he builds his house, and then the first storm comes, and guess what happens? It's gone. Now, 
similarly in Israel. You don't find much sand in Israel. There's a lot of rock. There's a lot of dirt. There's a lot of weeds. But we only saw sand in Israel in one place. It's called a wadi. And a wadi is basically a backstop for floodwaters. So when it rains, the water comes from the mountain and swooshes in to the wadi area, and all the water goes against one spot. So when Jesus said, the second man is like a man who built his house on the sand, the people would have thought, what a fool! Who would build their house? What kind of dummy would build their house on the wadi? That makes no sense. And that's the exact point Jesus is trying to make. When someone hears his word and doesn't actually do it, how foolish it is. That's a nice house. Apparently they didn't read this passage. (laughs) Otherwise they would have known not to build their house on the sand. Guess what that house is going to do? It's going to crumple. Why? Because it did not do, basically in our lives, because we don't do God's word. All right, here's the second man. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, hearing them, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the wadi, on the Colorado River, on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So how do we be a person who builds their life, builds a life that stands? Be a doer of his word. Now in Christian circles, we're really good at sometimes being passive. We don't smoke. We don't drink. We don't chew. We don't go with girls to do. We don't dance. We don't play cards with faces on them. We wear nice clothes on Sunday. We're good at not doing certain, certain things. But if you look at the Bible, God is also an active God. He's holy. He doesn't sin, but he's also active. He takes initiative. He does things. He does not sit on his blessed assurance. He is an active God. So how do we move from hearing And being like that kid stuck in his little studies of what his dad told him to do, how do we move to obedience? Start with Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. If you have a bulletin, write this down. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. If you just focused on that one verse, that'll probably give you enough for your lifetime to focus on. Develop this in your life. Possibly look at Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. In Jesus' day, there was a rabbi named Halil. Halil was one of the top rabbis in all Israel. And he taught, "Treat treat people like neighbors. Okay? So, what that would mean in our culture today is, say it snows. Okay, you're, you're shoveling your driveway. Treat people like neighbors. Shovel your walkway so they don't slip and hurt themselves. That's what Halil taught. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and he says this. He says, love your enemies. That annoying neighbor who has a dog that barks at 5 in the morning on Saturday when you're finally done with your shift work. That is like this. Jesus is saying, 
not only should you shovel your sidewalk so people don't hurt themselves, but that annoying neighbor, you go to their house, you shovel their walkway, and you shovel their driveway for them as well. He's moving us to active faith, and that's in Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. When Jesus taught that, love your enemies, that is a shocker to the people. It's a shocker today, isn't it? Third, anger. The Bible teaches you how to deal with it. We let God be the avenger. We do what he says. We take his command seriously. Fourth, another way to build your life on the foundation, join a small group. This season in small groups, we're going through a book called Just Like Jesus on how to be just like Jesus. Anybody read that book yet? It's an excellent book by Max Lucado as the author. Fifth, a lot of people do devotions and like, oh, bless the Lord. That was nice. And that's it. You got to quit just reading the Bible. If you're just going to read it and not do anything, there's no advantage in that. When you read the Bible, add this to your devotions. Add this question. When you're done reading, it is, how do I live this out? Or what does the Lord want me to do about this that I just read? Challenge yourself to live it out. God is a whole lot wiser than we are. God gives us commandments not to ruin our lives or to steal our joy. Where's our dancers at? There's one. Where's Luke took off? They were dancing up here. That was great. God is not a God who's out to ruin our lives and give us a lame, boring life. God gives us commands to protect us, to care for us, because he loves us. God is a proactive God. He knows we get impulsive. He knows we get emotional. He knows sometimes we're blinded by things. So he wrote things down for us to get away with him and to be reminded of what he said to us. Let us be proactive as he is proactive. Doing what Jesus taught so we can be resilient through the storms of life. And in conclusion, if you'd open your Bibles to James chapter 2, I'd like to read this for you. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James 2, verse 14 through 26. Now, I want to clarify something before I get into this one. We are saved through faith, okay? It's kind of like a seed that goes in the ground. That seed starts to grow, and say it's an apple tree, it starts to produce fruit because of the life it has in it. The outpouring of the health of the tree is fruit. We are saved through faith, not by our own exhausting efforts. That's religion. We don't believe in religion. We believe in Christ, okay? So we're trusting him to save us, to justify us, to declare us right before God. He paid the price for us. Now we're going to dig into this passage. This is a passage that Martin Luther did not care very much for. In fact, Martin Luther tore it out of his Bible because he could not reconcile this with faith alone. 
But I'm going to read it anyhow because it's in Scripture and it's going to make us think a little bit. Because I believe in a lot of Christian circles, they think, I said the prayer. I accepted Jesus into my heart. I'm going to heaven. And they might be fooling themselves. Faith saves you. But it's not the end of the Christian story. So let me read this to you. It says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things he needs for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You have all the correct theology, all the correct doctrine. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This passage meant a lot because I was in a culture once where people would say the prayer and they would live and totally deny God by their lifestyle. My question then was, so you said a prayer. How's that different than Islam? Islam, you say a phrase, you go to, you know. So you're saying you said some prayer, and then you just do what you want? No, I think a person who has received Christ as their Savior produces fruit, and they love to worship God with their life. And their life becomes a thanksgiving offering to the Lord. So let me ask you, how are you doing at being proactive in your faith? I don't think God's satisfied with us being passive in our faith. I think he wants us to be about um, the commands also that Jesus says that are very proactive, like go and make disciples of all nations. Love your enemy. Do good to those who curse you. I think that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants. If you want to build a house, a life that stands, you'll hear his teaching and do what he commands you to do as well. Would you pray with me? Father, you are very understanding. We are in process. Uh, We get wrapped up in emotions and impulses and moods and, and we get busy with awesome things. Father, help us to be about your business. Help us to simplify life. Help us to 
take that challenge of, of doing, being, God's rep, being your representative here on earth. And God, it's amazing to me that you are up in heaven and we're your plan. We're your plan for bringing the gospel, the good news of Christ into this world. And if it's not us, who is it? Father, help us be proactive. I thank you that you're proactive and that you sent your son while we were still sinners. I pray that you would open up scripture as we read it this week, that you would show us how to live it out, how to apply it to our lives each day. I pray that we'd enjoy that too and not be burdensome, but that would be a source of joy and a source of challenge and a source of fruit, uh, fullness in our lives, Lord. God, we love you. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Let us be holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.